Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you have any interest in buying optics or have any glassing questions, whether it be tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Guys, right now at GoHunt.com Insider, you can take advantage of the free trial. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to be able to take advantage of a free trial of the Insider. GoHunt is always adding more value for their Insider members. They've now added real 3D maps as a part of Insider for no additional cost. What an incredible value. Very soon, they're going to have their mobile app up as well. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and sign up for a free trial. If you're already an Insider member, it's automatically part of your Insider membership. And you can just go to the Maps tab up at the top once you sign in as an Insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to KUIU.com, Kuyu.com. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They sell everything off of the Kuyu.com website. I also do a lot of question and answer on my Instagram where I'm answering questions about guys wanting to know about gear about Kuyu, so tune into my Instagram. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Again, thanks to all the sponsors of my podcast. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got our friend Steve Chapel of Zero Hunt Fees and Elk Camp TV Chapel uh, Guide Service. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing real good, Jay. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. I'm getting ready to go down to Mexico to do our annual coos deer hunts. And I can't believe it, but it's actually this January will be my 25th season of going down to Mexico for coos deer. It's amazing how time flies. Yeah, definitely. Boy, I've sure enjoyed looking at those giant bucks that you're posting on Instagram. Wow. (laughs) Well, you've been down there with me. You know how it is. It's a lot of fun, and it's uh, definitely a hunt that I look forward to doing uh, every year. So I'm excited to get down there and and uh, Dar's down there doing a little scouting right now, so I'm looking forward to this season for sure. Absolutely. Steve, I want to talk to you today. Primarily, we've got the Arizona elk app, uh, elk regs just came out, elk and antelope, and I like to ha- get you on every year to talk about the upcoming season. I kind of smirk and smile because it feels like we just came off the, you know, it just seems like we just got done hunting and coming off the last season. And here we are already talking about uh, the upcoming season, the 2021 Arizona elk season. Before we dive into the specifics of that, um, just what are your overall thoughts? And I'm sure you've already been talking to a lot of hunters with your zero hunt fees and, and your, your program, but What are your overall thoughts coming off of the 2020 season going into 2021? Yeah, so 2020, 
was definitely a season and a year to kind of forget and put in the rearview mirror as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, you know, anxiously looking ahead to 2021. Um, we did have great antler growth, as you know, in 2020. Um, but then we had just had an extended drought uh, that lasted all the way through the summer and the fall. And so we had a very subdued rut, which made, you know, a tough archery and early rifle hunt, you know, not the kind of hunt that we usually enjoy in Arizona. So I'm definitely looking forward to better in 2021. Uh, you know, we definitely do need a lot of moisture. Uh, this, this drought kind of continues. Uh, but I always say I would take a little less on the antler growth side and a little more on the bugling side would be just fine for me. So I'm hoping that if nothing else, we get some good strong monsoons next summer and we get lots of tanks full, lots of grass and, and some healthy rutting elk is, is what I really look forward to. Yeah, and I think one of the things, Steve, like you said, our antler growth was was good in 2020 and, you know, expectations were high, but, you know, you and I have been doing this long enough. We knew that the summer drought, we knew that that was potentially, we were hoping not, but even in our recap of the season, I talked to you, you know, we were optimistic that we were wrong, but I think we all knew deep down in our heart that, you know, we were in for a challenging rut with the amount of, you know, summer drought specifically that we had. It just seemed like those elk and from everybody I talked to just were very sporadic rut. Um, even though the antlers were big because of the, you know, prior winter moisture and, and, and getting that green up, we just totally failed on that summer monsoon. Uh, you mentioned the drought going into this year and, you know, guys thinking about that, you know, applying for this next year. Um, y- you know, if we have a big monsoon, it definitely changes their behavior pattern. Talk a little bit about that, why summer monsoon is so important. Yeah, Jay, a real reality check for me was going back and looking at some of my footage from former years and seeing just green green grass that's shin high you know what i mean and 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 elk that are bugling it it just makes so much difference in their overall body health in those i think everybody is so keyed in on the bulls but what i always have to be reminded of is that it's really more about the cows than anything because the bulls you know trigger and react off of what the cows are doing and you know if the cows have that good feed and that good water and they're healthy and fat uh, they're going to come into estrus and they're going to cycle normally. It's going to be, you know, at the, the right time, you know, in September. And so we're going to enjoy a really good archery and early rifle hunt. Um, but again, this last fall, you know, there was just basically, I know in Unit 9 where I was at, there was no feed on the ground. It was, it was just completely devastated. And so amazingly, the elk still looked fairly good body-wise. Uh, but it definitely reflected in in the rut. Like you said, it was just very sporadic and you had to just be in just the right spot. And even if they were bugling a little bit, they they weren't very receptive to calls at all. Um, So again, I, I, I would trade off a little bit of antler growth for a good, good monsoon this next summer. We've been lacking it. I, I know for at least two years now, 2019 was the same way. So I hope we get a lot better in 2021. For sure. I'm looking at the 2021 uh, archery dates, and uh, the first thing that I think of is, you know, what's the moon doing? Looks like the moon is full on September 20th. It's the first moon on the 13th, so with that hunt starting on the 10th, 
Uh, it looks like the moon will be building all the way uh, basically into uh, the archery hunt. Um, what are your thoughts as far as, for one, these September 10th dates are a bump up in, you know, that they go and they go to a certain date and then they bump back and then they go to a certain, you know what I'm saying? This is what yeah. I would call early in the season structure. What are your thoughts about the early season uh, start dates for the archery and what are your thoughts on uh, the, the moon phase and that archery hunt building into that moon phase? Yeah, Jay, I'm, I'm always optimistic, um, you know, going into new years and, and seasons and all of that. So I definitely think it could be good if we get that that monsoon. Um, I, I do feel like those dates are just a little early uh, than optimum. Um, yeah, being September 10th through the 23rd. And like you said, with that full moon on the 20th, I also noticed that the fall equinox is on the 22nd. And it's kind of said that most of the cows, for the most part, will come into estrus within, you know, five days or so uh, around that equinox. So that would be roughly, you know, the 17th to the uh, 27th, I believe, right in there. So, you know, some of that archery hunt will definitely fall within that time frame. Um, you know, and also a lot of the cows will come into heat around a full moon. So even though um, a full moon can definitely um, result in less daylight bugling activity. I really feel like if there's cows in heat, it kind of throws everything out the window and the bulls are going to go crazy regardless. So, uh, you know, that's what we're hoping for, for sure. Um, as far as looking ahead, I looked at ahead at the five-year season structure and we're in, a, in the structure from 2018 to 2022. That's the current structure that we're in. So next year, uh, looking forward, we're going to be September 9th through the 22nd on, on the archery hunt. And then in 2023 is when it will bump back to September 15th. So for any of those guys that want to kind of look ahead, the new five-year season structure will start 2023. That's, that's great info right there, Steve. Um, I want to dive in and talk about units specifically uh, like we do, and you cover everything so well, but I want to take uh, just a quick um, detour here and ask you about Elk Camp TV and um, what season are you on and how is the show being received right now? And I believe there's new episodes going to be airing again this, uh, this summer, correct? Yeah, that's right, Jay. It's kind of hard to believe it's been <laughs> gone by really quickly, but we uh, just ended season three. Uh, the last episode aired late Saturday night. It, um, the, the best air times were on Monday, but so season three ran cor uh, third quarter and fourth quarter, um, which again just ended and it'll start back up late June, early July and run again third and fourth quarters for season four. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. I've already started doing a little bit of editing around, you know, phone calls and emails and all of that. Um, so I'm really, you know, pumped about being able to air season four again on Sportsman Channel. Um, show has been very well received. Um, this year, the viewership went way up, although I feel like that was a little bit due to, unfortunately, to COVID and, you know, lots of people being kind of uh, housebound a little more and looking for things to do. And, and, you know, thank goodness they tuned into Elk Camp. So it's uh it, it's been well received and i'm i'm excited to continue in the season four next year fantastic i'm looking forward to it um uh steve your your zero hunt fees program has been a huge success um talk a little bit about that and then i want to dive into the units uh themselves uh specifically how 
do you help people with zero hunt fees, uh, draw tags, and help them save money? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is, you know, I know as non-residents, because I'm a non-resident in a lot of states, and I know how it is looking at the application process and every state being a little different and it just being so hard to figure out all these states. And I have guys all the time, you know, they don't have a starting point. Like they don't know what to apply for, when the seasons are, what are the best units and all of that. And I help guys really dial in first off based on their weapon choice. Then secondly, based on, you know, whether they want to hunt the rut or not, what kind of trophy quality they're looking for and then what kind of bugling activity would they want to experience if they want to hunt during the rut. If they're a rifle hunter, then we look at, you know, whether they want to hunt early rifle or muzzleloader hunts or whether they're okay with hunting the late season. So I go over that with them. Um, You know, really the easy way to look at zero hunt fees is just, I ask people, it's nothing more than how would you prefer to pay for your guided hunt if you were to draw a tag. And for guys, you know, who, who have no problem with a, you know, $5,000 to $7,000 guide fee, um, I tell them, fine, I'm not going to force anyone into zero hunt fees by any means. But for a lot of people where that kind of money is a stretch or maybe getting spousal, you know, approval for that, um, you know, zero hunt fees is $349 a year. And what that allows them to do is, is join the program. Uh, you know, they have no worries because when they draw a tag, that membership covers the cost of their guided hunt. So they're not having to come up with that guided hunt fee. It's so interesting how many times I have guys ask me, yeah, but when I draw, how much do I have to pay for the guide? I'm like, the zero hunt fees membership covers that. That's what that's for. So it covers not only the cost of the guided hunt, but also helping them individually select hunts that are going to fit their individual goals and expectations for a guided hunt. So for a lot of people, it's just a very good fit and a very good program. And the other great thing about it is they're not locked in for any amount of years. So if they want, if they, if they join and draw the first year, um, they can opt out if they want after that. If they're in five years and draw a tag, they can opt out or they can stay in as long as they want. So it's it's not a locked-in scenario. Uh, just a great, great thing for a lot of people and a great program. Fantastic. Uh, tell us, uh, for some of those listeners out there that are that are newer and, and maybe just getting into the points game or maybe they don't quite understand how the Arizona draw works, um, talk a little bit about how Arizona's uh, draw for elk works. Yeah, so, you know, I try to simplify it. You know, by, I start out by saying it's a five-choice system and a three-phase draw. But you can really simplify it when you're applying for bull elk hunts, which you and I do, and I'm sure most of the listeners do. When you're applying for bull elk, it really comes down to two choices, your first two choices and the first two phases of the draw. So in the first phase of the draw, it's going to issue the first 20% of the tags to the highest bonus point holders who apply for that particular hunt. So let's just take a hunt that's got 100 bull tags because there's a few that have 100 bull tags for simplicity. So the draw in that first phase or the bonus point phase, it's going to issue those first 20 tags out of those 100 to the highest bonus point holders. And of those 20, um, five of those can be non-resident because non-residents are limited to to, to, to 5% of those 20%. So the residents can get 15 of those, of those 20 tags and the non-residents can get five of those. But the big key for non-residents to keep in mind is that in 2016, the Arizona Game and Fish changed the draw 
to where they're limiting the amount of bonus point tags to only only half that can go in the bonus point round. So those other five tags would be available in the random draw to non-residents. So it's a 50-50 split on the non-resident tags. So I have guys ask me all the time, you know, how many bonus points does it take to draw uh, or how many years would it take me to draw? And I say, well, if you're unlucky, worst case scenario, on these better archery hunts, yeah, it could take you 17, 20 or more years to draw. But what they need to keep in mind is, you know, exactly half of those tags are random. So it makes the Arizona draw just such a great thing because it's got that element of fairness and a perfect element of, of uh, randomness as well. So you've always got a chance and that's what, you know, makes it exciting for people. Yeah, and another thing to point out there is that's per unit. So, I mean, in Unit 9, yeah. five of those tags, because there are 100 bull tags in Unit 9, five of those can go to non-residents in any point structure from zero to whatever. They could go to a three-point holder, a seven-point holder, whatever it may be. Yep. The first year applying, five of those tags, up to five of those tags can go to uh, any any point holder under than the maximum point uh, pool, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, you don't have to build a bunch of points. You can draw from the very first year, and there's people who do it all the time. And the other great thing about the Arizona draw, unlike a lot of states and people have a hard time wrapping their head around this, is the fact that it legitimately considers both your first and your second choice when it comes to your application. So you don't just have to, you know, throw in the towel per se and just apply for average units as your first and second choice. In fact, that's a mistake. I tell people if you apply for, you know, a mediocre or lower tier hunt as your first and your second choice, you're basically applying for the same hunt twice. What the wise applicant does is they use their first choice to go for that really slammer home run type once in a lifetime type hunt. Use your first choice for that. And then on your second choice, pick a hunt that's got better odds. But again, that's still going to meet your expectations for trophy quality, whatever those may be. Um, now, I will say, you, you and I have covered this before. If you're a high bonus point holder, you really need to take this into consideration because you can also draw your first or your second choice in the bonus point round. So if you have enough points to draw your second choice, but not your first choice based on your points, you're going to draw in the bonus point round and you're going to get that second choice. So you need to make sure that that's a choice that you, a hunt that you really want to go on. Otherwise you're going to, you know, you're going to burn your bonus points on that second choice tag. But I think it's a great system all the way around. Um, you know, I'm a prime example. I've drawn my second choice three times over the years. So the, the draw really works the way it says it does. And, and I just think it's really phenomenal. Yeah, Steve, we've talked about it before, but for those people that maybe haven't heard those prior podcasts, you touch on a great point of, let's just say uh, they're going for a Unit 9 archery tag, and that's what they really, really want, and you know that's, that's the hunt they want. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that if they are a high point holder and that by having high points, whatever their second choice puts them in the max pool for that second choice, their unit nine choice doesn't even get looked at. They would automatically, you know, I hear people say, well, I put in for nine first and I put in for seven West second. Well, if you will, the, let's just use, and I, I haven't looked at it here, but say 20 points and you probably know, but yeah. 20 points is the guaranteed for non-residents for unit nine. And 
let's say 15 points is a guaranteed for unit seven west and they have you know 18 points and they say yep. well i drew a tag my credit card got hit but i don't know what i drew yet i said how many points do you have and they said 18 and well what did you apply for well i put in for unit nine and i put in for unit seven west i said well you're going to seven west well no the draw isn't out how do you know i drew seven west I said, because you are in the max point pool, you're over the max point, uh, re I guess, recommendation for the seven West pool. So you automatically, the computer automatically threw you in seven West. If I didn't yep. explain that correctly, make sure that it's crystal clear to the listeners. Yeah, you got that right on the money, Jay. They just need to know that what if, if they're a high point holder, that their first and second choice are going to come into play in the bonus point round, just like it does for everyone. And uh, they really need to consider whether they would be okay with that second choice tat, you know, that check second choice hunt if they were to draw it. Um, and you got it exactly right. If they're in that bonus, if they're in that bonus point level where they're able to draw that second choice, they're, they're going to, and their first choice doesn't even come into play because they don't get to the random draw because they run the bonus point phase of the draw first. Yeah. So what you said makes perfect sense. And, you know, a guy like that, you know, might want to take a look at some of these resources that are available out there as far as bonus points. You know, I always look at the Game and Fish 20% bonus point pass report broken down by hunt number. Um, you know, all those type of reports. I know you have some some resources you use as well. Yeah, uh, with the Go Hunt Insider, you can go on there yep. and see exactly what you've got. Uh, another yep. question I get, Steve, and then we're going to dive into the units is, um, can I apply for unit nine for my first choice and my second choice? Can I basically apply for the archery hunt? Or if I'm interested in unit 10, can I put unit 10 archery first choice, unit 10 archery second? I get that question it, all the time. And yeah, they, they can absolutely, they can do that. Um, and there's some misinformation out there. I've even heard it said that if you really want to hunt, put it for, put up all five of your choices for that unit. Um, but really in effect, it, it does, you no good. Um, you know, if you use your first and second for the same hunt, basically, if there's not tags available, when you, the computer considers your first choice, let's just say it's unit nine archery and there's no tags available for that hunt and it goes to your second choice to consider that choice, and again, it's Unit 9 Archery, it's going to get the same result because there's no tags available for that hunt. Right, so, so if you have it, a hunt that you... a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, if you just want one, if you just want to hunt Unit 9 Archery, just do one choice, Unit 9 Archery, and it makes it simple. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay, Steve, specifically, let's talk archery here. So we've talked about most of the hunt dates uh, with, I believe, the exception of 22. The hunt dates are September for the bull uh, elk archery dates, September 10th through the 23rd. And I want to go through and talk about uh, your top five choices as far as, you know, what what you think is the best um in, you know, everybody's answer is different. So I want I want Steve Chappell's top five archery picks as far as quality of experience, quality of bulls, size of bulls, um, you know, and it may not be the biggest bull. It may be, you know, the, the most 350 bulls, but maybe not 390 bulls. What's your top yeah. five archery hunts? 
Yeah, Jay, you, you know I love Unit 9. I mean, overall, that's my favorite unit for sure. But I'm going to say, I feel like it, it has slipped and it can really vary from year to year, as can a lot of other units. I don't want to pick on it in that manner either. But I, I would say if someone wants, you know, just an absolute screaming rut fest, um, you know, with potential for really big bulls, I, I, I don't think you can hardly top 23 North. Um I know for non-residents, that's a tough one because there's only one potential non-resident random tag. It's not a bonus point tag. Um, but I still feel like, in my mind, that would be a dream archery hunt. You know, right there would be 23 South also. Um, it's not quite the same hunt as 23 North, a little more remote type country, a little more rugged country with more distance between pockets of bugling bulls, but still the real chance for monsters. Um I really feel like those two units are tops. Um, you know, then you're going to get like nine and 10, a uh, 10 kind of like nine. It can really live or die based on moisture year to year on, uh, you know, on an average to good year on moisture, it can be just absolutely chaotic rutting and, and great calling. Um, you know, you got the Bokeas ranch, which encompasses half of unit 10, um, where they don't allow you to sit water or use trail cameras. So, yeah, that's a real pure glasser and collars unit. I think it's a phenomenal archery hunt on the right kind of year. Um, and then I, I would say the next two units for me in the top five would be, you know, 3C and and one. Um, I don't know if that's six, but I would probably put 3C slightly over one right now. I was in one a couple of years ago. Uh, it just seemed like the age class overall was down in that unit. There's a lot of elk there, no doubt. It's a beautiful, diverse unit. It's just the kind of unit to me that's more like 300 to 320 bulls for the most part as a realistic expectation. Of course, there's always the special bull here and there, um, but I would probably put 3C a little bit above uh, unit one right now. So those would be my top, I guess. I would say 23 North, 23 South, 9 and 10, and 3A, 3C. Okay, and then let's jump to, we're going to come back to archery and some of the mid-tier units, but let's jump to the firearm season, uh, which is going to start uh, the 24th. Um, what do you see as your top picks for the firearm elk season, whether it be rifle or muzzleloader for elk? Yeah, so two of those and, units. And let's like, talk guess... early. Let's talk uh, the September 24th uh, season. Absolutely. Yeah, two of those units that I just mentioned, 3A and 3C, and Unit 1, which also includes 2B and 2C, to not to confuse people. Um, 3A, 3C has 25 permits, so they round that down to two non-resident permits, so there would be one bonus point tag for a non-resident and one random tag. And then Unit 1 has 35 permits, so there would be three. And of those three permits, what they do is they issue one based on bonus points. So there's one bonus point tag for non-residents and then there's two random tags available. Uh, I also see that they have early rifle hunts and, you know, some of these units that are good. Unit 10 has 40 tags, so four non-resident permits available. Uh, they have an early rifle hunt in 6A and 5B North. Now 6A and 5B North, yeah, that could be a good hunt you know, with the potential to come away with a 350 or better bull, um, you know, not really known for those kind of bulls, but I really feel like a rut will get going on that 24th through 30th September dates. So, you know, that could be a really good hunt in those units. Um, and then also unit nine is on the muzzleloader this year. Uh, it's got 25 permits 
Again, two non-resident permits will be available there. Uh, that'll be a phenomenal hunt, I really feel like, for someone who's okay with using a muzzleloader. And then we always have that hunt in 3B uh, that will have 30 permits. So, again, there'll be one bonus point permit and uh, two random tags. And that one flies a little bit off the radar. That might be one that someone can pick up with a little fewer bonus points than a 9, 1, or 3C. But, again, you know, not quite on the same status as those top-tier units. Yeah, and then um... – I know you failed to mention, but I know you think a lot about them. You mentioned them in the archery, the, the 23 North uh, early rifle with 15 and then the 23 South with five. How yeah. do they handle the 23 South with five uh, with non-residents uh, applying for that? Yeah, on that one, same way as 23 North. There's one potential non-resident tag available randomly. It's not guaranteed to a non-resident. Um, but they are able to draw one of those five tags, just like they are to, able to draw one of the 15 tags in Unit 23 North. And it does seem like, Jay, that year-to-year non-residents do draw that one tag, be it be for archery or early rifle, uh, so they can take heart in that, that they do have a chance. And, you know, for a guy that wants that really special hunt, I, I say, you know, it kind of makes sense to use your first choice. Uh, to go for it and then use your second choice for a a better odds type hunt is 15 the number of the breakdown where it just is a complete random tag as far as you know you mentioned that 23 north has has 15 archery tags and it's a completely random one you know one tag is that the same with uh the the early rifle is 15 that magic number where it's not two it's just one and it's random yeah Exactly, because it's interesting as far as tag numbers go, when you have, you know, 15 or 25 or whatnot, the Game and Fish rounds the .5 down. So in other words, if you have a hunt like Unit 9 Early Rifle with 20, or Muzzleloader, I'm sorry, Muzzleloader with 25 tags, the Game and Fish, you know, allocates or or, or potentially allocates 10% of those tags to non-residents. So that would come out to 25 but rather than rounding that up to three, they round it down to two. Um, but with bonus points, let's say you're applying with your buddy on a group application and you, you average out to 10.5 bonus points when you put in together, the Game and Fish rounds your bonus points up to 11. So they round up for bonus points, but down for tag numbers. So, you know, kind of bad news for the non-residents on that. But still, I feel like here in the West, our draw system is the best by far, hands down, I really feel like. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It gives everybody a chance, um, yep. you know, with with some weight to the people that have been putting in for a long time as well, but also gives yep. some opportunity chances for those that don't have any points or have very few points. Um, let's hop back to the archery here for a second and talk about some of what I would call mid-tier units. And I get... In, in, I get you know, various people mad at me for calling them mid-tier. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at like the 3B, 4A, 4B, 5A, 5B North, 5B South, 6A, 6B, 7 East, 7 West, Unit totally. 8. You know, and yep. I get, you know, 8 and 27, and I get people yelling at me that 8 and 27 are not a mid-tier. But, you know, I would say they're at the upper echelon of the mid-tier, same as 7 yeah. West. Um, talk yep. about that next structure down, maybe the next three that you would say are kind of the top of the mid-tier. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if it were on my application and I was considering a mid-tier unit, I, I would say one would definitely be at the top of my list. I don't quite put that in the top tier just because, like I said, I feel like the age class of bulls is down a little bit and the trophy quality is, is a little less than some of those top tier that we talked about. So I would put one in that in that grouping. I would put 27 in that grouping um, just because the bugling activity can kind of be hit or miss in that unit. Um, you know, lots of rough country, so that's not a unit for just anyone. It's someone that needs to be pretty physical and able to hike well. Um, I'd also lump 7 West and 3B into that grouping. Um, again, just like many, many units, you can have real hit or miss bugling activity just depending on the year. Um, you know, the temperatures, moon phase, all of that can come into play. Um, and then, yeah, a unit like 8 would kind of come in at the lower end of that. Uh, you know, with 250 tags, I just feel like that's a little crowded in that unit. And when you add to that, I think maybe they have 50 cow tags in there as well, which you have to take into account. That's people out there, you know, maybe calling and putting pressure on the elk. Um, eight's just real famous, like many others, for having that hit or miss bugling. Um, so again, yeah, I would probably put one, uh, 27, seven west, three B, and eight kind of in that grouping. Okay, Steve, um, I know you've got guides um, spread out throughout the whole part of the state as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about late hunts and what you feel some of the top um, quality late hunts are, you know, maybe the top three, four, five units that you like for late hunts. Yeah, um, you know, late hunting, I always tell people, you know, approach those with caution. Number one, you and I have a saying, friends don't let friends apply for late hunts. <laughs> for a few reasons. I mean, they're, they're physical, they're challenging, and very often in winter weather. We didn't have that this year, but boy, the last couple, three years, we've had some really nasty winter storms come in and really play a big part in that hunt. And, you know, if, you're, if you don't like hunting in a foot of snow, and, uh, you know, single digit to zero degree temperatures, that hunt is not for you. Um, and you need terrain and topography uh, to where you're able to glass and find those bulls. Because if you're just hunting mostly flat, thick country, it's just like turning up a needle in a haystack. Like unit nine being probably my overall favorite unit to be in during the rut. It's one of my least favorite during the late hunt just because there's not much topography to that unit. And where there is some, you get a lot of people there and there's a lot of pressure. So it's it's not at the top of my list by any means on the late hunt. So the better late hunts are going to be, you know, I would say the top one in my mind would be in 23. Uh, then to a slightly lesser degree would be 27, mainly because, you know, we had that big fire in 2011, I believe it was. It made it much more uh, opened up and visible to glassing in 27. So the bulls have kind of been getting hammered over the last, you know, several years. So the trophy quality is down a little bit, uh, but still a really good late hunt for the right person. Uh, and then I would put unit one probably next, uh, followed by unit 10. Although unit 10 can be tough because 10 doesn't really have a lot of canyon country. It just mostly has those volcanic mountains out there that you can crawl up on and glass and, and find bulls. But again, it, it's very difficult if they're not within range uh, to cut the distance down, make a stock and get them killed. Uh, whereas those other units, 23, 27 and one have more Canyon country. 
And that canyon country is important where you want to get and shoot across at an animal where you talk about 9 and 10 being tough where you've got sometimes you can get up on those knobs and see them out there but then they disappear into those juniper jungles where in 27 and 23 you can be across from them looking into those juniper jungles but you have the angle of the hill on the on the hill they're on opening up the hill to give you shot opportunities where in unit 10 the cedars are flat and and the the angle of the hill is flat so you can't shoot into them you have to shoot through the trees and that becomes a problem so you know, any late hunts, uh, you know, the reason that these late hunts, Steve's saying that, you know, some units that can be phenomenal in the early season, like nine are not good for, not as good for late. It's because of the angle. Would you agree? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Jay. You need that topography. You need that Canyon country to be able to see across and shoot across at them. You know, a couple other units that come to mind with that kind of topography would be six, a and eight. Um, I don't feel like those have quite the trophy quality overall as these other units that we just talked about, but they do have the topography. If a person's happy with, you know, just any six point bull or potentially a five point, um, those units would make fairly good choices. Although again, tag numbers are, are pretty high. I believe eight has 500 tags and, and, uh, six a has 700 or more seven to 800. Um, so yeah, very crowded out there. Um, you know, not the type of experience that you're going to get during the rut. Uh, so a guy really wants to consider, you know, first of all, whether they want to apply for a late hunt and secondarily, how much pressure they want to see out there. Cause it's just pretty impossible when you have that many tags to just get, you know, be out there alone all the time. Sure. And, uh, you get a bull down in, in units like eight and 23 and six A. sometimes you say, Oh my goodness, what did I just do? Uh, do I have somebody that owns a chopper that can help me out? This bull <laughs> Call out, the chopper. <laughs> as you and I both know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, last question um, before before I let you go. You know, we've been doing this a long time. Um, we were partners in guide service for a long time and, and known each other a long time. What's your overall opinion on, it's a little unfair because of the drought that we're in, but what's your overall opinion on the direction that the Arizona elk hunt, hunt hunting is going right now yeah jay i feel like overall it's slipped just a little bit and i don't feel like that's really due to management or tag numbers or anything like that Uh, i think the game and fish is doing an outstanding job overall managing the resource i just feel like it's been more uh due to the climate and the lack of of moisture um i just feel like our monsoon has become just a little more unpredictable and uh, we've been getting less and less of it um i i just really hope that 2021 is a turnaround for that uh, because if it's not i think we're just going to continue down this path of lack of feed lack of water and uh you know just not having a great rut if that's the case um but if we do get those monsoons man it could be just a phenomenal year um so it's so much about that one thing that i didn't talk about is you know we have an early application deadline in arizona for elk and antelope and that's on february 10th so guys really not able to look at the conditions and know what it's going to be like you know come september but the, the thing to keep in mind is that is a game and fish has point guard. And when you apply, if you add point guard to your application for, from $5, it's very minimal. You can turn your tag back in. I believe it's 24 hours. It's either 48 or 24 hours prior to your hunt. 
you keep your bonus points plus you get one more point instated for you for that for that year um, and you keep your points so that's something to keep in mind so i always tell guys you know go ahead and apply apply with confidence being optimistic and uh, praying for the best as far as moisture and monsoon moisture but know that you've got that point guard to back you up should it be just a real severe drought year so that's a great thing that the game and fish has in place as well yeah great advice uh, steve it's always great having you on the podcast i uh, want to give you a chance to let people know the best way to reach you and fig- uh, find out more about uh the the arizona or the uh, zero hunt fees and the chapel uh, guide service Yeah, thank you, Jay. It's always awesome to be on with you. So your listeners can uh, find out more about Zero Hunt Fees just by logging on to zerohuntfees.com. And uh, they can also get onto my main website, Chapel Guide Service. They can get their chapelguideservice.com with two P's and two L's in chapel. Um, They can also uh, check out elkcamptv.com. That basically gives the uh, times of the show and when it's running and airing and all of that. And then uh, as far as social media, they can find us on Instagram at elkcamptv or if they're a Facebook user, it's at Chapel Guide Service. So thanks again, Jay, for that opportunity. Awesome, buddy. Uh, God bless. Um, Have a happy new year and uh, we'll catch up with you when i get back from the uh, coos deer hunts and i recommend uh steve uh, he's been a great friend for a long time and uh reach out to steve if you guys have any more questions about uh putting in for for elk in arizona steve as always thanks for coming on yeah thank you jay god bless happy new year to you and uh, all the best on your coos deer hunts in mexico i can't wait to see the photos man all right buddy take care